You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back Arizona as Mr. John Eisenhower comes climbing down his eucalyptus tree. You can get on the line at one 767 4348 That's one 888 rosie you. Text questions can be sent to 411-923 or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com if you'd like to talk trees. It's the second Saturday of the month and we have ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower and guests. You've loaded up the studio this morning. I did. All three of us came sliding down that eucalyptus tree this morning. I got my friends uh, Steve Preeb and Donna DeFrancesco coming uh, in studio with us today. These two guests of mine are are good friends going back. We were just trying to remember when we met many, many years ago. Yeah. Probably tw- over 25 years ago, I think. And we had a, uh, uh, a wonderful time of... of uh, kind of training together. You know, I, I learned a lot from Steve and Donna. They're kind of my uh, mentors in, in many respects. They've got a wealth of, <laughs> of knowledge and history. They're both horticulturists, arborists. Oh, stop. Oh, oh stop. no. I, I, and then I he became go. the teacher, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. He took, on, it, he took it to another level. Yes, yeah. I remember oh. that. Oh, every ACTC event they have. I, <laughs> we were, Steve and Donna are there. Every A&A event, every ALCA event. I see y'all everywhere. But you may not know this, John. Their influence goes well beyond landscaping. What? Mm-hmm. What? What? I have flat two in my home because I nice. learned about flat twoing oh, at your property nice. when y'all built that home, yes. and you took the pecan leaves and etched it into That's your concrete right. countertop. Brought those leaves indoors. So yeah. I didn't do leaves. You didn't do leaves. I What'd did. You do? I did brands. I got uh, a friend of mine had a cattleman brand book from the early 1900s, and I just flipped oh, through there and brands. picked out random nice. cattle brands. Now you're gonna and have so to explain the, that to your listeners. Now, what is this technique? So, well, yeah, well, I guess I should. So, it's just a way of <laughs> doing designs into decorative concrete. They would call it a tattoo for a flat surface. Hence the name flat too. But yeah, they would etch, you know, make kind of like a stencil and then etch the concrete. And, a, and it would just be a very subtle image that you'd have on your concrete. It is so cool. And when I went in and saw that for the first time in their house, you know, they, 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 it's just a showpiece. You know, they love to you know, bring you in and show you the pecan uh, kind of into the sur- surface of their, their countertop. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Thank you both. Yeah, Thank you. So... So it's nice to have these authorities standing by today to, to weigh in on all of our, 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 our monthly uh, topics. Uh, we've got a, uh, a tree of the month this month is the hop seed or the hop bush, which is a really it's kind of a shrub. But like some of our, our trees we have on our on our kind of most favorite list, um, we, we love these trees that can be adapted to a small area. And hop bush can be um, get up to fifteen, maybe fifteen feet tall, mm-hmm. but they're just a wonderful screening plant. And I'm going to let uh, uh, Steve uh, kind of talk a little bit more about this because I Donna was telling me earlier <laughs> that he's a. Uh, uh, has a little information about he's the hops. The, uh, he's the botanist, you know. He gets into those little details. So. Where to start? <laughs> I, uh, I, well, what, do you, what do you like about them? Well, I like their look. Uh, I like their. Um, you know, that they're versatile use. You can use them as a screen, uh, you know, things like that in the landscape. Uh, but, you know, it occurs all over the world as a native. It's, it's, 
a native to Australia, and there are like seven different subspecies in Australia. So, um, you know, uh, I think that a lot of in a lot of different uh, cultures have used this plant. It could be medicinal. Uh, it's used for building in in other uh, cultures and things like that. So, and very he had a dense good story wood. of why they called it the hop seed bush. Yeah, in Australia, they used that. Uh, the fruits from it f- uh, to use in beer making before they had hops. Mm. That's thought, why it's I called I thought hop, it was called that just because the pods looked a little like hops, but uh, they are pretty, pretty it truly cool was little, used. Little uh, um, seeds and little flowers that, that, that develop on them. Um, but they're, uh, I just like them because they are a nice alternative to your oleander or mm-hmm. some of your other screening plants that we have. Yeah. They can be a little frost sensitive, but if they're mature and established, they tend to bounce back just like um, other um, uh, small shrubs that get a little bit frost damaged. You know, they, they can bounce back pretty quick. And you had referenced them as an alternative to oleanders. Looking at the hot bush, they seem like they would be a less water-consuming uh, plant are, yeah, over an oleander. Yeah, absolutely, they're, because they are native uh, to Arizona. Um, we do have some up in the uh, kind of our, uh, our high desert areas up, up above 2,000 feet. In fact, I saw some up hunting recently this last year. It's kind of nice to come across them out in the, uh, out in the high desert areas up, up near Apache Lake. Uh, there's a really nice picture that, that, that Dr. Chris Martin has on his little uh, website um, uh, regarding hop seeds taken in the superstitions. And they're beautiful, glorious, kind of a bright green um, yeah. plant. So when you see them in, in our up, in our high desert, they're they kind of stand out. You mm-hmm. know, they're not quite as um, you know light colored as our ironwoods and the polyverdes, but they're a nice dark green, lush color, which is nice too. And for if you like that evergreen, uh, if you want an evergreen shrub that doesn't get kind of out of control. You might want to look at the hop seed. One other type of variety is the purpurea. It's, yes. It's, uh, you know, it's got a... Um, kind of bronzy, purpley leaves. Right. On in those. the colder weather, the, the, the leaves will turn a little bit purplish colored. Yeah. And uh, you'll see them in the landscape quite often and, and know that that's the variety that they've chosen. So, yeah, look into the hop seed if you're looking for that small shrub, um, you know, small tree, a large shrub that you want to... Uh, um, uh, give you a little accent in your landscape. Yeah. It doesn't have a really spectacular flower, but the fruits are are really cool because they turn start out being kind of blonde, but then they can get some red tints to them, and so it's really cool that way too. That's the spectacular and part. You'll of see it. some beautiful specimens of this plant at Boyce Thompson Arboretum. Just spectacular, like you're saying, they just can be striking when yeah. they're especially with the seed heads on them. So yeah, good good yeah, option. Yeah, good stuff. You could not have picked a harder place to go pick out a plant than Boyce Thompson Arboretum. <laughs> <laughs> to not be wowed by something, you mean, and go, oh, look at that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, look at that. Yes, they have gorgeous specimens. They have some huge trees out there, so it's a great place to definitely check out trees. So definitely. Yeah, they've got a, some great plant sales up there as well. So yep. when you ever have their plant sales on, it's nice to nice place to go up there and look around and come home with a few plants to, for your yard. So trees are our tips of the month. Uh, this is your time of year to be um, trimming your deciduous trees and shrubs. Um, and there's a little bit of a little nip in the air even this morning going out. Um, be uh, aware that, of course, you need to be protecting your plants from frost this time of year. Being sure that if you do cover them, you cover them all the way to the ground so that you prov- provide a little bit of a canopy there so that the air inside your cover now, I've uh, seen two theories on that. 
One, you just let it hang to the ground, and the other one is tied around the trunk. Do you let it hang or do you tie yours? You want to let it hang. You want it to go down at the drip line right to the ground and provide a little bit of a bell canopy over the top and try to seal that bottom. You want the air and humidity, the temperature and the humidity inside the cover to be higher than it is outside. So you want to, even a couple degrees difference could mean, mean the difference of the, uh, um, the, uh, the plant surviving or not. Of course, if you tie it to the base of the tree, you're, there's, there's very, can be very little difference at all between the temperature inside and out. You want that to go to the ground because this is a ground that often provides that humidity. They off, they recommend sometimes even a little bit of light, a little bit of watering in anticipation of the of the um, the frost coming. Um, you know, uh, deep soaking around your plants, and then you're going to provide that moisture and that humidity that, that could really help to keep them keep them safe. What type of material do you like to use for covering? Just the 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 frost cloth that the provide you know you can buy it at a, at a at a, um, at a hardware store. Um, it's designed specifically for that. It's lightweight, easy to use, and it also it traps the, uh, you know, you don't want to put a plastic on. Uh, even a sheet material can be used if, in, a, in, a, in a pinch, throw some bed, old bed sheets. <laughs> See that often. <laughs> I know. I think it's kind of cute when they use the old yeah, bed sheets, you, you know, little flowers on there and stuff. Yeah. A few little <laughs> lights inside it, might help, too. If you really are getting a deep frost, put a, put a little floodlight inside there. Something will generate a little bit of heat. It's one of those unique materials that on uh, for desert dwellers, it's not something we need often enough. No. So at those right. random cold snaps, they do come. Any frost cloth that's in hardware store lasts mm-hmm. about three minutes <laughs> yeah. before it's sold out. So then you, you, you right. get your bed sheets they out. They go fast. And, yeah. yeah, they do go fast. <laughs> and it might be worth mentioning that the, a lot of these things work well when the temperature is right around 32, 30. If it gets below that, which we have had, but we don't have often, as you just mentioned, uh, there might not be much that you can do if it's going to be down in the 20s for several hours. Yeah. I know that uh, at some nurseries, they, you know, this is overtime opportunity for some of their workers. They're just out all night watering. Uh, You would think that that would be the exact opposite of what you want to do at below freezing temperatures, but they're out there watering to keep the freeze. Um, I've heard... A lot of the old orchard uh, citrus groves, mm-hmm. when those freezes would come, the helicopter pilots, you know, they'd get out there and just circle all night long, just keeping that moving air. air. circulating, air And yeah. lighten up salamanders. Not, none of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those heaters, yes. Yeah. None of them very practical to a homeowner. Yeah. No. No. But so far, so good. And usually danger of frost is about February 15th, is what we Yeah, the average is about February 15th. You know, certain cities are a little bit cooler and longer, so you want to kind of look at your calendar and see. There's a a county website that will tell you, um, look up frost, uh, frost average, uh, last day of frost in Maricopa County, and you'll find that online. Because mm-hmm. uh, Mesa might be different than Gilbert, might yeah. be different than Scottsdale, True. might be different than Peoria. So you got to you can, it, mm-hmm. but it, it ranges between February fifteenth and March fifteenth. The reason I mention that is because you might want to you want to pull your frost cloth off on February fifteenth and find out you have a deep frost later. You know, as early as late as as March. But as you're getting closer to those dates, you know, just be looking at the weather forecast. If it, if if we don't have a a risk of frost, you know, in the next couple of weeks, you, you can feel free to start pulling your. A frost cloth off, and of course, starting to do the the the, 
the uh, uh, trimming out of the dead wood and the dead material. If you have some dead frost-damaged branches on your trees and shrubs, just leave it in there for a couple more months. It does provide a little addi- additional insulation uh, from uh, any, ad- any cold we might have. You don't want to cut it back now. Don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me. Anyone else but me. Anyone else but me. No, no, no. Don't sit under the apple We've got apple Donna. Tree. We've got Steve. We've got John. And now we've got Rick. You've really loaded up this program. And you can join, too, if you'd like to talk trees. Because what? Yeah. What would this world be without trees? one 767 4348 That's one rosie for you well, yesterday I had the privilege of having lunch with uh, another good friend of mine, Rick Kober, who, along with a couple of his nursery friends, were talking trees. And uh, we had a good time at lunch, and we got to discussing uh, plant growth regulators. And plant growth regulators are products you can put on plants uh, for various reasons, for uh, generally to control their internodal growth. And that's, in, that's the, the length between nodes uh, in the in the, in the in, at the ends of the branches at the meristems, so it, it controls the length that the, the basically that the branches are growing and putting on new growth. And there's various reasons for this. The line clearance companies use it to kind of control the size of trees that are growing underneath power lines. The floriculture industry applies it to flowers to uh, to keep them in a nice compact size, so they there you can get more plants in the in the in the flats. Um, there's lots of um, reasons for applying them in, throughout the, uh, uh, these many industries. But there's one key reason why we like to provide, you know, to, to apply them in our industry is, is to control the size of plants that you want to stay at a, at a basic height or, or spread. You have various reasons where you just can't afford these trees that have kind of achieved their landscape purpose. And what the, the, these plant growth regulators do is they stop the top growth of the plant, but yet they have some interesting effects upon the, they, they actually improve the, the fine uh, root hair development underground. They, um, they actually uh, improve the, 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 the leaf color, um, and they're quite an amazing thing. Well, yesterday, after we had lunch, uh, Rick said, hey, would you come out and look at a project? We applied some plant growth regulators to a couple of hundred ficus trees at a residential property, and let's go see what they, what, um, uh, what they look like. And so we went on a little adventure yesterday. And Rick, are you there online? I am. I am. I'm here online. Well, Hi, Rick. Rick. <laughs> yeah, Rick and, well, and, and Steve and Donna know each other very well as well. So <laughs> Morning, it's nice. Rick. <laughs> Well, it's good to, yeah, thanks for, for calling in, um, Rick. Can you tell um, listeners in just a, in a brief uh, description of the project and what the reasons were for applying the, the plant growth regulators to, the, to this, uh, these ficus trees? Sure. I was contacted by a, uh, a doctor, and uh, he said, I just purchased this home, put in a very fancy-dancy lap pool in the backyard and I wanted privacy in the backyard. So I put a hedge of uh, Indian laurel fig trees, the ficus nidida trees, Mm. and they are six to eight feet tall and they are on two foot centers. Wow. I think he said he spent like (laughs) $70,000. And I said, oh my gosh. I said, that's kind of close together. Two and a half foot centers (laughs) 
I said, you realize that tree is is also used as a massive uh, shade tree that gets, you know, 40 feet tall and 40 feet wide and uh, provides wonderful deep, dark shade. And it's usable as a, as a hedge. In fact, uh, years and years ago, I think Monrovia or Heinz Nursery introduced a, a variety they called Green Gem that was supposed to stay more hedge-like. At any rate, this uh, doctor... Um, planted, he had already spent the $70,000 on this hedge of plants. And I said, well, you're going to have competition with the plants and they're, they're probably going to stress out due to the competition of being planted so close together. And I explained that there's this option you could try. There's a uh, plant growth regulator that's called Paclobutrazole. And that's the chemical name. There's a couple of different manufacturers of Paclobutrazole. And it is a a product that's used commonly for, like John said, uh, power lines, keeping trees short under power lines. And the the flower industry, like when you purchase a a six-pack pony pack of petunias, uh, they would be two feet wide had they not been sprayed with Paclobutrazole. So it keeps the uh, keeps the plants internodes short. So anyway, we treated every one of the how many trees were there? I think there was 140 trees on two and a half foot centers, and um, we said, I told the the doctor, I said this is a relatively new product to be used in the residential tree industry. It's used widely in the commercial tree industry. But I said it's certainly uh, an option. The product we use is one called Shortstop. It's manufactured by a company called Arborjet, and Arborjet is a uh, is one of the leaders in in the in the tree chemical application industry. They uh, they have invented some other really good products they use for bark beetles. So the uh, the product is applied as a drench. You mix it up in a bucket. You measure the girth the diameter of the stem as it enters the ground. And I believe it's 150 milliliters per inch um, in a gallon of, of water, and you mix up like a five-gallon bucket, and it's drenched. Now, it takes a uh, pest applicator. You can't just go buy it at Home Depot or Lowe's. You need so, a high- what's our takeaway here? The takeaway is I was amazed <laughs> at the control. There's pictures. I, I, I want to know, can you, can you apply this to your kids? Trees, 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 I love the trees. We are trees. Ah, they are the reason we can breathe. <laughs> you may not know, but in theory... That they can talk and smell and scream. <laughs> That's a great song. Roots. Oh, roots too. Signal shoot. Did you write this during bottom of the hour news break? Took all ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and if you'd like to talk trees, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. We're gonna head south for our first caller, but real quick, just to summarize that last segment with Rick and the the regulators. Yeah, for thank tree you. Growth. Thanks again, Rick, for calling in. Um, that was a, a pretty uh, a fun little uh, field trip we took yesterday, and I was just so impressed with the the control that has occurred. Six
16 months ago this was applied, and the the plants have have uh, just they basically maintained their same size they had back then, and they look lush and green and healthy, and it's it's not something you want to be you know, applying, you know, helter-skelter. It's, you know, these all these products are, are there's a, a time and a place for them and an application. And if you've got one of those, you know, trees that is out of control and, and you'd like to keep it rather as opposed to having to remove it because it, it has achieved and now has exceeded its original landscape purpose, maybe there's a place for a plant growth, uh, growth regulator in, uh, uh, in your future. So, let us know if we can certainly give you advice on that. Now, I have an almost impossible question, and I'm going to ask all three of you, and we may get three different answers. <laughs> if you were a landscape contractor and a customer said, I want you to plant 70 or 140 ficus trees two and a half feet apart, and I'm going to pay $70,000, that $70,000 looks pretty uh, attempting, but would you, would you – ethically plant ficus tree two and a half feet apart knowing this is going to be a a horrible uh situation 10 years down the road we have this happen a lot in our industry we have questions that, that really uh, we have to you know of course be uh making our decisions based on integrity mm-hmm. and what's mm-hmm. in the best interest of the health and safety of the of the of the plants as well as the you know just giving good advice to our, our, our customers. Often we will have customers want us to top a tree and we have to say, you know, give them, you know, our advice that, hey, it's not advisable. There's a proper way to do crown reduction on a tree and it, it, it involves uh, some, um, a different approach rather than just uh, taking that tree down at an arbitrary location or arbitrary height. And sometimes customers take our advice, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're not happy with what, you know, what we want to propose. And yeah, you do have to walk away from those jobs if if uh, if that's what integrity demands. Excellent Says the answer. man whose former tree uh, uh, company was Integrity Tree Service, <laughs> <laughs> formerly known as. Well, we we are still Integrity Save a Tree. That's right. Right. That's right. right. Absolutely. And right. I'd like to think that I would uh, do the same, but you know, you do have to wonder if. If you're a contractor, you need the business. Hey, if I got to make uh, payroll or payments, you know, there's probably that's that's a tough decision you, to make. And if it you is. can't talk the homeowner out of it, he's just right. going to pay someone else to do the same thing. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Hard decision. How about you, Steve? I'd take the money. <laughs> <laughs> take the money and run. <laughs> then come back and do some more work for him to fix yeah. it, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then you get then you get hired to apply the plaque. <laughs> so here's a question. No. If you if the homeowner wants those trees planted that closely apart, could you talk him into believing that hot bush was ficus when you were installing <laughs> and planting a shrub that you knew was a better decision for what he's trying to accomplish? Well, oh you know, yeah, these are it's, ficus. It's funny, Arizona ficus, brand new hybrid. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sometimes landscapers do overplant with the idea that you're going to come back in and and thin out True. the trees because they yeah. want to give a a a a good push to the landscape so that it can, like it can achieve impact. those shade values and the privacy, whatever you're looking for, yeah, quickly. Yeah. And then with the idea that maybe in a year or two we'll thin those trees out. So there's there's good actually point. a strategy yeah. uh, for doing that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wanted to mention too that Rick was getting into some uh, specific details about how to apply this stuff. It's it's not just for any homeowner, and John was kind of alluding to that earlier, is that you need to get somebody that really knows what they're doing before you uh, apply a, a product like that. Those types come with certain certifications before you can even buy it. Right. Yeah. They're lab- labeled products that require a licensed spray applicator to, right. to apply them. 
We're going to pull into Kurt's yard in Tucson and see how we can help him with his tree question. Good morning, Kurt. Good morning. Thanks for a, a really good radio show. Well, thanks for tuning in. So how can I've we got, help you? Well, you bet. So I've got a question. Um, we attend a church down by the university that's about 100 years old, and there are several um, close to 100-year-old olive trees out front that we really want to keep. Um, they're beautiful. They produce and provide a lot of shade and kind of part of the history of the church. Um, at the base is red brick that was laid probably 30 or more years ago. It's all buckled because of the roots. Mm-hmm. And so we want to redo it so it's an even surface as some of the congregations, well, I guess all the congregations getting older. So at any rate, but there's still youngins there. Um, so the question was, do we remove some of those surface roots on a mature olive tree, or do we simply remove everything and build up the, um, you know, the sand or sub subsurface to where all the roots are covered and trust that it'll probably last another 15, 20, 30 years before it has to be redone? Yeah, that those are all options, and they've all been done and tried, and you have to you know, if you want to save the trees, you do need to be very careful with what you're going to do with those roots. And, you know, excavating down to, to compact soil and, and put down a, a more significant hardscape is probably the last thing you want to do because of the risk of damage to that root collar around the base of the tree. Um, olives are pretty tolerant to construction damage, so, uh, but it, it you just can't, you have to be very careful with what you do. Um, you know, those roots, if you do want to preserve the tree, you know, there's options of routing the sidewalks around the tree. I mean, if you don't have that, uh, that luxury of having that additional space, um, you can do what you said, take up the, the brick, raise the, put in a sand layer so you can put another, heart, put another paver uh, layer down that would be more level and get all those, the buckles out of it. And again, you'll you'll have about a 15-year, maybe maybe even less than that uh, time before you start getting that um, uh, that buckling as those roots continue to develop radially. Another um, interesting option is to use a flexible paving products. There's a, a FlexiPave or Porous Pave are two of the companies that we've uh, worked with that actually put down a a, un- a really nice product. It's a kind of a rubberized asphalt uh, matrix. And it's just so cool. It's uh, it it kind of moves with your um, with the, um, the the growth of those roots under there. It will push up, but you won't get that trip hazard and those uh, those edges with that, that pavers create when you get the buckling. So that might be something to look at. We uh, my son just did a, an installation at the University of Arizona on campus with a porous pave product. And it's really cool. If you'd um, like to contact me off off air, I can maybe allow you to go down to the U of A and look and see the product itself, um, because are really um, it's it's really a uh, catching fire across the country as a, so, a, a really great option for putting a flexible paving product down. It actually is porous as well, so it, it water gets through oxygen to to the tree roots, and so. It's got a lot of benefits. Plus that, of course, the the main benefit is that it's flexible and can move and can put it over an uneven surface. And you said this was done on University of Arizona's campus. Yes. And he's in Tucson, so he and no, his he's con- not. He's not. He's, no, he's, Kurt's in Tucson. 
our yes, caller. Yes, that's what so I was we saying. Tell, that, that's why I was reminded that he's not too far away. He could go and look at the product. Bring the and, whole congregation down to Washington. <laughs> go check it out and see, you see your option. Now, do you all have right. any additional input? For Steve, let's just assume they're going to put a brick back over it and uh, – you might as well get the money and do the job. What would you put over it? <laughs> well, I like uh, I like the porous paved product uh, also. Um, and one of the things that when you uh, – another thing that you have to keep in mind and try to keep in balance is that when you put more material over the roots, that's less oxygen, less water uh, that they're getting also. Uh, so this porous material is permeable to air, permeable to water. So it's uh, it's a good product. And one thing that all three of our major university campuses have are incredible arboretums uh, on their mm -hmm. property. U, mm -hmm. U of A, ASU, and NAU, all three of them. Have and it. at Mesa Community College is an arboretum now. Mm. It really, I know it's really famous for the roses, but I didn't realize they got it. They have yep. arboretum status at University of Mesa. Congratulations. Uh, Mesa Community, Mesa Community College. College. Yeah. What did I say? Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you brought what it up Steve said. In stature, yes. <laughs> well, Steve would know about that arboretum because Steve is one of the adjunct professors and teaches some of the tree biology classes in connection with their urban forestry program. We, the Mesa Community College has one of the best urban forestry programs. If you're looking to get into the landscape industry, you want to get, get an associate's degree uh, in urban urban forestry. I Sustainable agriculture Sustain and urban landscape. Urban landscape. That's a great place to start your career. Uh, look into that program. It's awesome. And one final thing on, you know, yeah. putting material on top of trees. Just as recently as within the last 15 years at University, uh, at Louisiana State University, LSU, they have oak trees that are hundreds of years old. And people used to pull up underneath and, I mean, to tailgate mm -hmm. under the shade, especially in those warmer, humid uh, beginning of the season games. You can't park within 100 feet of the trees now. They've got it all roped up. You can go walk under it. You can Perfect. move your tailgate no under there. there. But yeah. they took all the heavy Good. vehicles off because of that soil compaction that was happening. Yeah. And and that's that was what I was going to mention, too. It's not it's certainly not always an option. But if you can, just make that area natural around the area underneath the tree where the roots are and, and re redo your path around it or something that would be mm -hmm. ideal of course it's you know when they're up against sidewalks or those types of things i know that's not always a, an option so yeah but anything you can do to preserve those old heritage trees yes by rerouting the sidewalk or finding some other ways around it and rather than trenching and cutting and 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 you know it's, a, it's terrible to see those the roots of some of these big old trees cut just so they can put a nice heavy concrete sidewalk right up next to the tree pretty tough on those roots and and then the roots are going to keep growing, and then they'll end up buckling that next sidewalk that you put down. So, yeah, lots of uh, lots of options there. But yeah, feel free to call off air, and we can. Uh, um, I'd like to talk more about that project uh, around the church. Love to help out if we could. We'll get him connected with where on campus they can go check that out. What else do we have on our January's talking tree to dos? Well, I know that um, Donna was mentioning a couple of events coming up across town, and yeah. maybe you can talk about that. Yeah, we've got the. Um the citrus clinics coming up. The Master Gardeners sponsor that each year. They do it out at Greenfield Citrus Nursery, and they bring in the University of Arizona Extension professionals. They bring in uh, lots of other specialists that know all about fruit trees. They have 
uh, tasting, I think it's like 170 to 200 different types of citrus, Citrus, which is hard to believe. Yeah, hard. And they just cut them up and they're out there on tables and you can uh, check out, you know, it's there's more out there than... Uh, navels and juice, Arizona sweets and grapefruits and ruby reds. There's an incredible variety of things. So when is that? That's going to be uh, the next Saturday, January 18th, 9 a.m. to noon, out at uh, it's it's Greenfield Citrus Nursery, 2558 East Lee High Road. So, so check li- that out. So you can listen to the Gardening Hour between eight and nine on your way there. And there you go. Be there right on time at nine o'clock. There you go. So it's a it's just once a year. This is a great opportunity. The other thing we have in Mesa is uh, Mesa Urban Gardens and Trees Matter is doing a program at the Mesa Urban Garden, the community garden. That's at 212 East First Avenue from 9 to 1130. Unfortunately, the exact same day, but it's deciduous fruit tree pruning. So anybody that's very specific to that, uh, please stop by. Now, do any of y'all have citrus in your yards? This We do. Yes, yes, yes sure. of course. I was talking with Yellow uh urban farmer greg peterson yes mm-hmm. we were talking both of us have more citrus on our trees this year than we've ever had before and this is the first time i've actually seen a citrus branch break wow. because of how heavy the yeah. fruit was yeah so either you had some good pollinating going your on trees, in the spring. your tree has graduated <laughs> well we weren't sure if it, we had such a wet season last year yeah. all that natural rain is if it yeah. wasn't a result of all that growth from the rains that started september of 19 yeah, yeah, those the fall and winter rains are awesome. Yeah, produce some yes. you know, incredible years of fruit production. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, we also want to mention that we have. Olive spraying coming up pretty soon. Those of you who don't have your mature olive trees uh, that are that tend to drop all of those um, olives, and this is your time to get on this. Someone's scheduled to get those sprayed, so keep that in mind. Sometimes a little bit of light trimming on those trees is helpful to prior to the spraying, so you get good spray coverage. Just wanted to remind everyone that's one of our talking points for today. We also um, are reminding everybody this is a great time to be uh, fertilizing some of your trees and shrubs and get those uh, uh, get that on your on your calendar. You know we always target you know Valentine's Day, Memorial Day, and uh, Labor Day as kind of those three times of the year that early, mid, and late season fertilization of your citrus trees. So be uh, uh, marking your calendar. Those are some nice, easy calendar um, reminders to uh, jot those things down. Uh, to be sure that you get that fertilizer down th- at those uh, prescribed times of year. Uh, you're, uh, since I've got Donna and, and, and Stephen here, um, can you guys tell me, if you were to say what your favorite tree is, I usually ask my guests, what would you tell <laughs> me? Is your, and, and go with a native I have, or, 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 a, or a desert, a desert tree. I finally have the perfect answer to that question, but I'll let Stephen <laughs> Donna go first. He wasn't asking you, Romy, but we'll go back to you. But I'd like to get mine in first, just in case Steve has the same one. But the Palo Blanco, mm. I, you know, and I think I lo- love that tree so much because it's got that white papery bark. I grew up in New England with birch trees, so I think it kind of reminds me of home a little bit. But mm. it is just such a sweet. Small tree. It's got the, you know, graceful branches and very wispy. It works really well. And those side yards or things are. It works really well clustered. If you do like three 
to five trees clustered in an area if you have a large area. Just a really beautiful tree. And the wildlife, the hummingbirds love landing on the little branches and stuff. And it's just, there's just that weeping, the we- uh, yeah. those branches, just kind of a weeping willow kind of a look. And it's so, it's just really delicate, beautiful tree. Yes. yes. Thank you. My favorite. I love all trees equally. Oh, God. <laughs> that, that was, was a, that, my answer. That, 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 that was a politically correct the answer. Lorax no. over here. Oh, my God. I would be torn between ironwood <laughs> just because it's so uh, yes. such a magnificent tree. And, yes. And, uh, Good choice. But my other, one of my other favorites is desert willow, just because it has a, mm. that nice big showy flower in it. And nowadays comes in so many different color varieties. So I like both of those trees real well. Now, have y'all ever driven out Carefree Highway to see the Champion Ironwood tree? No. It's right. Let's do that. Yeah, the in uh, the Champion Tree program that the Arizona State Forestry oh, Department yes. puts on. Yes. They. The biggest known the tree mm-hmm. of this species that's right. in existence. And the champion ironwood tree, you can see it's just a hundred yards off a of carefree highway to the south. It's between mile marker number eight and nine, south wow. side of the road. Great. And the ideal time to see that would probably be about April, April. when the, yeah. the purple blooms come out. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, where's that mile marker? Is that toward toward uh, if you were going from i-17 to wickenburg toward wickenburg before you hit 60 uh, right about mile marker right between eight and nine there's two is it marked or anything or you just need to know you need to just need to know marker is yeah they don't publicly they they publicly publish what are the champion trees are but not exact locations just so you know boneheads out there would go carve their initials in the bark and Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah you know Cut off a limb to say they've got a piece of it or something yes. silly like that. Yes, yes. That's great. But that one's real easy. You can just see it. But what's your favorite tree? It was Steve's answer. All of oh, them. Oh, he cheat. <laughs> that so was going to be my answer. All the of them. Ironwood. Oh, all of them. <laughs> all of them. But for desert native, ironwood is my favorite. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. They, right. John, don't hold out on us. You got to pick one. You know, my my favorite tree is is, is really the Palo Verde. You know, I, I mm-hmm. it is our state tree. Yeah, good one. But I just yes. love the Palo Verdes. But you know, it's not the, it's not our Arizona state tree, the Floridum. I really like the Microphyllum. I think it's it it's it represents to me uh, the resilience of yeah. those those all those little trees that spot all of our all of our hillsides yes. all around town. Those they love green. rocky soil. Yes, very little water. They just survive wherever you plant them, and I just, I just it, it kind of just speaks of Arizona's character, the harsh right. desert, but they're the ubiquitous, you know, uh, microphyllum. It's the, it's the, the little, the little foothill palaverdi, the little leaf palaverdi, and I'm little, so I like the little leaf palaverdi. <laughs> I'm small, small in stature, but I'm, I'm durable and durable, resilient. Strong. Uh, Donna D. Francesco from City of Mesa Water Use It Wisely campaign. Thank you for spending time, yes. Steve Preeb. Uh City of Mesa, no, Mesa, Mesa, Mesa Community College, College Mesa professor. Community College, yes. And John, Integrity Save a Tree, Mr. John Eisenhower, thank you. If somebody wanted a certified arborist, saveatree.com.